Have you been in a situation where things didn't work out quite what you expected to be? I know there are collegians, uh, we had an awesome retreat out here, and, it, and many of our collegians are going back, you know, maybe locally or even driving or flying to your universities this weekend. And perhaps the university that you visited coming out of high school isn't quite what you expected now. You don't quite have the fellowship that you hope for. Perhaps you're not surrounded with as many Christians and, and deep, meaningful relationships that you're hoping for. Perhaps the schooling is not quite what you thought it would be like. All the aspirations that you had coming to the university, it's kind of like, whoa, what happened? Is this where I'm going to be for the next four years? Maybe you started a career or you've been in a career with so much optimism, so much hope, so much excitement. This career is going to be fulfilling. I'm going to be making a difference. And all of a sudden, the reality of it sits in. It's like, wow, it's not quite what I thought it would be like. Instead of optimism, there's pessimism in your heart. Right? Do I have to go back to work tomorrow? Uh, maybe it's friendships, you know, there's unmet expectations and deep friendships. Well, this is going to be my best friend. I'm going to share my most deepest, darkest things to this person. I want to share my most exciting dreams that I have. And it, 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 that same type of commitment isn't there. Maybe you're in a marriage where, you know what, this person is going to be my greatest companion. I used to be lonely, but I'm no longer alone. But you're in this marriage and you feel lonelier than ever, perhaps. Perhaps the spouses have passed away. You think, it's supposed to be for life, right? And now we're alone. 2019 might have been hard for you. And for our family, for me, it's been challenging in many ways. And just being a pastor, I have the privilege of getting to know people's lives. And 2019 was hard for our church family in many ways. There was a lot of transitions. We had a new pastor come in, right? That's one transition. You know, but other things, a lot, lot of hard things gone on. Maybe 2019, you look back a year ago, Blessing Sunday, 2019 is going to be awesome. Not quite what you expected. And today, that's the context. I want you to feel that. This is what the disciples were feeling as Jesus gives us these six verses here. The disciples had earthly aspirations. In Luke 18, they left home, they said. They left family and home to follow Jesus. They're all in. They put all their chips in. They're all in for Jesus. They, they left their careers. They left northern uh, Israel, Galilee, where most of them were from, except for Judas. They left their family and relationships. They left what was familiar and said, so, you know what, we're going to follow you, Jesus. You called us, we're going to follow you. Their hopes were dashed because all of a sudden Jesus sits them down. After coming in on, in that triumphant entry on a Sunday, this is a Thursday now, and says, you know what, I'm leaving. What? I thought we were supposed to take over this weekend. I thought, we got, I thought Jesus, you're going to... Get rid of the Romans. We're, we're going to rule Jerusalem and Israel together. I thought we are going to be in your right hand and your left hand. What do you mean you're leaving us? And Jesus also said, now only that, one of you all going to betray me. What? 
Not only that, the boldest one of you guys is going to deny me. And this is that whole thing where all their earthly messianic hopes are, boom, dashed in an instant. They're just sitting there now. This is not quite what I signed up for. I still might be in my fishing business if I knew this is how it's going to be. And the, the news gets even worse. Jesus says, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to die. And I'm going to leave you. Well, the implications of that is if our master's going to die, I mean, I'm going to die too, perhaps. So th- this is the mindset. And, 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 and the thought goes like, what? Why did I ever leave? Why did I leave Galilee? Peter might have been thinking, I had a good fishing business. Peter had something going on in Galilee. I had a wife. Peter had a home. I've I've seen his house up there. He had a home. I was thinking, how many kids are I going to have? How am I going to raise my family in peaceful Galilee? And for this? Well, Jesus is going to encourage his disciples. And today, 2,000 years later, he's going to encourage us through his words, his eternal words. No matter what you're going through right now, this is going to encourage you. And today, we're talking about how Jesus is the only way. So let's rise. We're going to be at John chapter 14, 1 through 6. Just six verses, but we need to talk about all that so that you feel the weight of these next six verses. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to us through his word now in 2020. John 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Verse 4, and you know the way where I'm going. Here comes Thomas, one of the disciples. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Verse 6. We shall all know this verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that we would gain greater trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, through his word. Spirit of God, illuminate our minds minds and hearts so that we will love and know your Son even more. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. First point, we're going to get right to it. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. We're talking about this series called Final Charge. This is an imperative command, like, do not be troubled. He could tell. The disciples were like, probably on the look of their face, like, what? I can't believe what I'm hearing. I, I, I can't believe this. What's going on? And Jesus who was troubled himself in John 13. The Bible said he was troubled at the fact that one of his own disciples would betray him. He's taking the time to comfort his disciples. He says, don't be troubled. This word troubled means terrazzo. It means un- unnerved. You're disheveled, distressed. I'm confused. Like th- This is the type of situation this is for the disciples. Is do not be troubled. The disciples were troubled. And, commanding, and he was t- commanding them to take heart. Are you troubled today? 
Are you troubled today? Maybe some of those things as I opened up our message today, those are some of the things that's weighing on your mind and heart right now. Just had the privilege of doing a funeral this past week and privilege of meeting with another family where their uh, dad's in hospice care. He, he, he just passed away. Perhaps you're in those situations right now where like, what's going on? I thought Christmas time was supposed to be a time of tradition and a time of familiarity where I could count on these things, where everything has changed now. People that you sat in the same seat every year aren't there anymore. What is going on? I thought when I became a Christian, life was supposed to be full of peace. I'm supposed to be at peace. Why are things so hard? Disciples had expectations. Perhaps as, as the faith was shared to you, you think, man, it's going to be good. Maybe you're a new Christian and you're thinking, why do I feel even more distressed these days? Maybe you've been a Christian for th- three, four decades. Maybe you're like wondering, is this how it's supposed to be? Well, what is the cure for being troubled? Right here, verse 1. Do not let your heart be troubled, Terrazzo. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe, believe also in me, Jesus says. Continually trust in God, but also continually trust in me. In other words, this is another command Jesus is giving. In other words, you can say, like, since you trust in God who you can't even see, Right? The Father, they never actually laid eyes on the Father. Since you trust in Him so much, trust also in me, who you won't be able to see in the short time as well. He said, you, you're looking at Him. Trust in me. He links Himself with the Father, with God. Basically, Jesus is claiming to be God right here. You trust in God, you also trust in me. This is what Jesus is saying. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. He'll make your path straight. Trust in the Lord. But being able to trust in the Lord and not be troubled is absolutely linked to this next point. Point number two is we're not home yet. The whole idea is if all your hopes and dreams are on today, this world, what this world has to offer, your home, your health, your education, your career, your comfort today, relationships of today, how your kids are doing, how your spouse is doing, you will be tarazzled, you will be troubled because life is full of issues. But the point number two is that we're not home yet. Verse 2 says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. What is Jesus talking about? Where's our home? Where's the Father's house? Jesus is talking about heaven here. This is heaven. In the clearest of terms, even the little ones in here, we have everyone in here, we're talking about heaven. We're not home yet. San Gabriel Valley isn't our home. Heaven. Jesus is talking about heaven. And it says he has many dwelling places. That means there's plenty of room for many people, all people groups. And Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I need to go away to prepare the place for you. Because if I don't go, 
There is no home for you in heaven. I need to die and rise. I have to do this, Jesus is saying. I have to go through this. I have to leave you in order to take you there. I have to ascend back to the right hand of God. But look at here, verse 3. This word is very comforting. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. I'm coming back to take you home. Now, I believe this is talking, Jesus is touching upon the rapture. What is the rapture? The rapture is a, is a distinct future event, separate, distinct from the second coming of Christ, where there's judgment. This is where he comes back into, this, into the clouds and calls us back. All right, And I want to just take some time to read this scripture. It won't take too long out of 1 Thessalonians. The rapture means caught up. 1 Thess- Thessalonians 4, Paul writes about this, what this event will be like. All right, The rapture means the, the people are caught up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. This is an event before judgment, before the world. So Jesus goes and he comes back for his people. Verse 16. For the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a shout. We kind of sang about that earlier. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. There's going to be a shout and the trumpet sound of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. These are Christians who've died already. The glorified bodies will meet their spirits to give them their glorified bodies. Verse 17, then we, if any of us are alive when Christ comes back for us at the rapture, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. We'll be caught up, pulled out off of earth to meet the Lord in the air. Look at this is the beautiful part at the end. And so, (laughs) you want to know what heaven is? Here it is. And so we shall always be with the Lord. That's heaven, to be with Christ. And, in, and in, 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 in back to John, that where I am, verse 3, there you may be also. What is heaven? Heaven is being with Jesus. That's it. This is our hope. That's when we're at home, when we're staring Jesus face to face. That's home. We're not home yet, brothers and sisters, to be with Jesus Verse 4 talks about, you know the way I'm going. And, and it's a quick verse. And Thomas here, sometimes we're hard on Thomas. You know, we call him doubting Thomas and things like that. When Jesus is resurrected, he goes, unless I touch your sides and your hands, I'm not going to believe that's you, Jesus. But we're hard on Thomas sometimes, aren't we not? Thomas, could, we could be hard on him. But you know what? I'm grateful for Thomas asking this question. It's like this, when you're in class and the professor or teacher is discussing something and you're like scratching your head and I don't know what he or she is talking about. And you two are embarrassed to raise your hand and say, could you clarify that thinking everyone else knows what he, he or she is talking about? Thomas is like that. Excuse me. Excuse me. How do we know the way? They ask that question. And the third point answers that question here. What is the way Thomas asked in verse 5? That's the question that we all want to know, is it not? No matter where we're from, I go to Japan, some of us been other parts of the world, and 
death is something that we all deal with. You know, in Japan, one of the things that you, you, you go visit your ancestors where they're buried at, and that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Uh, you may have a look at a little shrine in the house. That's a big deal. The afterlife is a big deal. And that's the question that we all want to know. How do we know what the way is? What is the way to heaven? What is the way to heaven? And I'm just going to take some time here to talk about this. And man is absolutely incapable of knowing how to get to heaven on our own. Impossible. And here are some examples of what I mean by that. Left to our own wisdom, reasoning, logic. All right, left to our own thinking. The results is that you get a variety of false religions. That's the net result. And um, just driving around in my neighborhood, just driving around, you know, it's my normal route or jogging around the neighborhood. You get a sampling of all kinds of things going on in our world. All right? It's all kinds. Of, I mean, just down the street, there's a Jewish synagogue. I kind of went on their website and did some emphasis. What is their emphasis? Is is like moral living is what they want to emphasize. They even say there's different paths to holiness. So morality, moralism is what they emphasize. You be a good person. Perhaps that will get you to heaven. Down the street is a Muslim mosque. All right, I love my Muslim friends. I have some friends back in my football days who are Muslim. And they had a man named Mohammed who, who served as a prophet for them. And they believe that you have to maintain these five pillars of Allah. That's the name of their God. Basically, it's like their Ten Commands. You got to do these five things. And perhaps when you die, there's a, a scale of deeds. If the scale of deeds said that you did enough good, then you get to go to heaven. There's a Buddhist center down the street, of course. A man, another man named Siddhartha, who became Buddha himself, said that if you maintain certain spiritual practices and you're able to evolve and to develop spiritually, that you'll ascend to this position called enlightenment. So you got to keep doing these spiritual practices and then eventually you might get there. You might get there. Down the street, I drive down the street. There's a Mormon church, right? Another man named Joseph Smith in, in the 1800s, in 1820, came up with a new religion and a different version of Jesus. This version of Jesus is a, it says that Jesus is a created son of God, half-brother to Lucifer himself. Classic Satan style right there, right? Jesus is his brother, same level as him. That's what they believe. And it's a works-based system. You go down Rosemead Boulevard, and there's a Jehovah's Witness Hall. And same thing, another man, Charles Taz Russell, 1870, even a newer vert, uh, religion comes up their own version of Jesus like he's like an angel, powerful angel. And so same thing, same thing, works-based system. And so, I mean, these are just examples. I'm just throwing these out. I mean, there's more. I'm, there's a ton more. But the reason why I take time to talk about these, there's all kinds of false religions out there. There's all kinds of answers, man-made answers to how to get to heaven, right? There's all kinds of ideas out there. And all, what all of them have in common is this, one common thread. One common thread. This is Satan's life. All of them are about human achievement. You have to do this. You have to do enough good deeds. It's called moralism. You've got to be a good person. You have to uh, follow the legalistic plans. It's, it's, it's all man achievements. It's, that's what it's based on. 
But there's one fundamental issue that keeps man from coming to heaven on their own. It's called sin. As fundamental of the issue, sin is the issue. God is holy. And no sinners are going to heaven. Not one of us. Not one sinner is able to go to heaven on our own. Psalms 14.3, David writes, All have become corrupt. Every single one of us. Every single one of us has been corrupted. There is none that does good, he says. There's none. None of your deeds are good enough to get you into heaven. Man's efforts can get us nowhere. Now, what does God have to say? All that said, now how do we get to him? That's all, those are all man's answers. This final point is this. How do we actually get there? Well, God gives us an answer here. Jesus is the only way. This is the fourth and final point. Jesus is the only way. Verse 6, Jesus says this. Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. That word and is a big deal. I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth and the life is linked to the way. The big emphasis here is the way. The way is the, is the key theme here, the way. Jesus says, I am the way. Why? Because I am the truth and I am the life. This is why. In other words, he's basically calling himself God again. He is truth. He defines reality. Truth is not simply just some facts, some knowledge, all right? This is not what Jesus is talking He's the author of reality. He is the revelation of God. If you want to know God, you study the life of Jesus. That's why adult education is so critical. You want to know God, you study the scriptures. You study about a man named Jesus from Old Testament to New Testament. The more you know Jesus through his revealed word in the scriptures, the more you'll know God. That's how critical this is. And we want to provide this for our church family. I can't think of anything else that would be more impactful than that. John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, talking about Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing of the Word of Christ. Colossians 3, 16 says, Let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you. The only way you have the Word of Christ richly dwell within us is to read and study the Word of Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit. Truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus also says, I am the life. He is a source of life, spiritual life. This is not just talking about physical life, although he did create everything. He's talking about he's a source and of spiritual life through spiritual birth, rebirth. He's the giver of eternal life. John 1, 4 says, in him was life. The life was the light of men, the Bible says in John 1. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Even if you die, you will live. We're not talking about physical life. We're talking about eternal life. And it's because Jesus is the truth and the life. He's basically, I'm God. So now let's go back to the disciples here. That's a lot right there. You just found out all your hopes and dreams on earth are just gone. Gone. And not only that, you're probably going to get hunted down like Jesus is going to be. And you're like, whoa, is this what I signed up for? When I, is this what I signed up for? And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
I got you. Although it's going to look crazy here in a moment, it's going to look like I lost control. It's going to look like I can't even control my own disciples because one of them dis- denies me and, and all y'all are going to run off. One of them's going to betray me. I'm going to get arrested by a bunch of humans and I'm going to get murdered. I'm going to be hanging lifeless on the cross pretty soon. It's going to look pretty bad, guys. But hang in there. Perhaps right now you're thinking to yourself, man, does God even know what's going on with my life? I got these health problems I never thought I would have. I got, I, I, got a, I got a husband or wife that just absolutely doesn't get me at all. And I'm supposed to hang in there in this marriage. Does God not know? Did he make a mistake in this? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. As you believe in the real Jesus, not a counterfeit version of Jesus like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses teach, but do, you, do not let your hearts be sure because you know the true and living Christ. And right here, this is where it gets very, very clear about who he is. If you thought for one second that Jesus is okay with me hanging out with him and flirting with the world or hanging out with him and also kind of entertaining things of Buddha, this is where he puts a, a line in the sand and just a line where it says, are you on this side or that side? Bible says right here in verse 6, no one comes to the Father but through me. Let me read that again. It's so simple. Even the children here could have said, no one. That means nobody, right, children? No one comes to the Father but through me. This claim is so exclusive. That means like nobody else. There is no other way. In other words, I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the only way to heaven. Peter talks about it in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I'll read that for us real quickly. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's nobody else. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and there's one meteor. His name is Jesus Christ. This is it. There's no unclarity about this. This is not hard to understand. This is what Jesus is saying. Any one of his children could understand. No, no one comes to the Father but through me. But this is hard to accept. This could be hard to accept for some of us. Could this be? I mean, we live in a relativistic society. What does that mean? That means like what's true is true for you, but what I believe to be true is true for me. Like we could have two opposing truths and be both right at the same time and look at each other and smile. That's what relativism is about. You know, maybe you heard things like, you know, as long as you're sincere about what you believe in, you'll be fine. Just, just believe, right? Believe what's in your heart. What's in your heart? Disney might say, what's in your heart? All right? Simply believe in something greater. There must be some higher being. We all worship the same thing, maybe with different names. I mean, have you been called this? Perhaps you have. Maybe you're terrified to be called this. Is how arrogant of you. I've been called that. How arrogant of you. Right? I worship, I get to worship God in my own way. You hear that? We basically believe in the same thing with, with, with different names. Maybe a past president says something like that. Hey, don't we believe in the same God? You know, it's just, we just have different names, different traditions. Don't all roads lead to heaven? All right? 
You know, people, Rocky, people believe in their God just as much as you believe in yours. So who are you to say that, you, that they're wrong and you're right? That's very arrogant of you. It's not very loving. I thought you're supposed to be Christians. It's supposed to be loving. Well, let me ask you. I know I believe this. What John 14, 6 says, do you believe this? Do you believe in Jesus' claims right here? This is not the gospel according to Rocky. This is the gospel according to Jesus himself. He's, this is his own words. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, to him. Now he says to us, Jesus says to us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you believe this claim now, this is huge. You'd be given a clear message now. Which side of that line do you stand on? Are you with him as a disciple or are you with the world? There's really only two teams. You could put Jesus on one side and all those religions that I talked about and every other one that's out there all on one team. There's just two sides. You believe in that or do you believe in Christ? It was so clear, this message to the early church in Acts. So clear that they became known as the way. All right, this is the way. In Acts 9, Paul, who used to be called Saul, used to ask, he asked for permission to bind up those and arrest those who were part of the way. All right, Acts chapter 9, the way. This is what the Christians were known as, the way. Do you not think that this was resonating in the minds and the hearts of the disciples as they're preaching Christ in Acts? You bet, the way. And this is what drives evangelism. If there were many ways to heaven, to be with God, we'd kind of be like, you know what? We'd be very Japanese about saying, you know what? Let's not offend them. Let's kind of, let's let them believe what they do. I'm sure they're fine. This is, this is it. I mean, think about it. What other truth leads you to leave home to be a foreign missionary? Why would you leave here? It's an awesome place to live. You got your family, you got your friends, you got stuff that you're used to. This is incredible. Why would you leave? In your natural, you never leave. This is great. What other truth leads you to even risk offending others and perhaps losing friends and family members? Right? Let's just maintain the peace. It's all good. What other tr truth leads you to open yourself for attack, character, verbal attack? You're arrogant. You're narrow-minded. You're not loving. You're not loving. What type of truth leads you to walk into persecution? I'm going to finish up with this here. Let's go to Acts 16. Uh, Acts chapter 6, excuse me. As you're turning there, this is the life of Stephen. Stephen was a spirit-led man. Spirit was full of wisdom. Uh, Stephen was identified by the apostles to be a, perhaps a deacon, a servant. And in verse 12, he was put on trial. Chapter 6, verse 12 of Acts. The religious rulers, the Sanhedrin perhaps, was surrounding Stephen. And they were getting false witnesses against Stephen. Sounds like what happened to Jesus. They're getting false witnesses. All the world was coming against Stephen here now. 
everything that the disciples were scared of in that upper room is now happening to Stephen right there. And Stephen didn't have the advantage of being in that upper room with Jesus. And Stephen is confronted by all the powers that be in that Jewish society. He is alone right now. And verse 15, perhaps this was resonating through his mind. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because verse 15 of chapter 6 is this. And fixing their gaze on them, all these powerful men were staring at Stephen. And what did they see? All who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Do you think his heart was troubled? How do you get there? Thinking, I might die here, but I'm at peace. Thinking about the whole world is against me, but I'm at peace. How, how do you get there? How is this even possible? And he answered him, he says, you guys crucified the Messiah. The one and only, the righteous one, the one that was prophesied about. You killed him like your fathers killed the prophets. You killed the Holy One. How does someone get to say that? If I was him and there were other ways, I might say, you know what? I think you all be all right. Let's be friends. Can I go on my way? But Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Compelled Stephen to speak the truth. Let's go to Acts 7 here. We'll just, I want to give you the words of our Lord here through the scriptures. I'll give you a big summary of chapter 6. But let's go to, uh, let's go to 51 to kind of feel the intensity, the conviction our man Stephen had. This is the man of God. This is what you want to be like. Verse 15, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did, your forefathers. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one. Talking about Christ, whose betrayers, betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Look what happens next. This is not some fairy tale ending like they go, man, we respect you. You go on your way. This is not that. This is not the Christian message here. The, Stephen's hope was not in that happening. Verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they were gnashing their teeth and they're angry. Like, how dare you talk against us that way? Verse 55. Here it is. Listen carefully now. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. He sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And guess what happens? But they cried out with a louder voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. They took him out to the place of stoning. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. 
And my kids asked me this question and the, for this next part. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who becomes Paul. Why did they give, take time to give their coats to Saul? Because getting stoned is a bloody affair. Every rock that's thrown on Stephen comes back splattering blood at them. They're not going to ruin their good coats. So young Saul, hold our stuff as he's cheering them on. And this bloodbath is happening. This evil attack against one of the godly this man recorded in scripture is happening. Then when uh, they went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Supernatural response. Having said this, he fell asleep or he died. Verse 55 and 56 says that he saw Jesus. Now what is Jesus' posture here? What is he doing here, brothers and sisters? What is he doing? The Bible says that he's standing. Why is that a big deal? Rocky, why is that a big deal? Because every time, like for example, in the book of Hebrews, five times I think, Jesus has talked about sitting at the right hand of the Father. Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Why is Jesus standing? Why did Luke write two times that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father? Why is Jesus standing up such a big deal to Stephen right now? You know why? As this earthly kangaroo court is trying this godly man and condemning him to death, there's a heavenly trial going on right now at the same time. And Jesus is standing up before the Father and advocating, He's mine, Father. He's one of mine. And as, even if the world condemns you as being against the world, which it will if you're faithful, the, Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father saying, he or she is with me. And guess what happens? As, as the last stone is thrown into his skull and kills this godly man, he is ascended to heaven. Jesus is waiting for him to welcome him home. Now Stephen is home. And this is the type of God that we worship. He's personal. He knows every single one of us. He's waiting for every single one of us. If, he, if, we, if we fall asleep or die before the rapture, this is what you have waiting for you. Our Lord and Savior standing at the right end of the Father, saying, he and she is with me. Come here. Welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is what Stephen heard. And this is what keeps us going, even in the midst of being in that upper room. No matter what you're going through right now, if earth's expectations aren't quite medium, what you hoped, this is what we live for. That moment. You got to understand, the way is just not some theology or some idea. Jesus is not just some guide or a map or a compass. Jesus says, I am the way. It's about a relationship, about knowing God himself in a very personal, intimate way. Jesus says, I am the way. It's about being connected to the good shepherd who carries us home in his arms. So let's start this New Year's off knowing this. 
We're called to be about the way. We're called to be about Jesus. And if the world isn't affirming you, guess what? It didn't affirm our Lord. It didn't affirm Stephen. It's not going to affirm you. Your affirmation comes from the one standing at the right hand of the Father. <laughs> Amen? This is what this is about. And I can't think of a better passage to start off the new year. And I get it. It's, this is what we do at the beginning of the year. But can you think of a better way to start off the new year than thinking about that? Our Lord is going to be standing, welcoming you in, like, come here, my daughter, my friend. That's what I'm talking about. This is why you will keep persevering no matter what's going on right now. We're not home yet. Our treasures aren't of this world. Our treasures are being with our Lord. In a few moments, we're going to be able to take communion. Pastor Ron will come up and give some instructions, but I'm going to lead us in a little bit of time of prayer. The Bible says this, to make sure that we take communion in a worthy manner. Communion is basically identifying with the one standing at the right hand of the Father. If Jesus says, I have to go in order to come back, that means his body had to be broken, his blood had to be shed for you to have a place in the Father's house. Without that happening, we don't do this. That's why Jesus said, I must go because I prepare. His preparation was on the cross and resurrection out of the grave. And this is where we identify with the one standing at the right hand of the Father and saying, I, I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I believe that no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. I'm going to pray and then we'll have a few moments to just do business with the Lord. If there's any sin that you need to repent of, do it right now. Come take communion in a worthy manner. And particularly if you have an offense against somebody, you got to forgive somebody or they need to forgive you in the church particularly, pray right now. Okay? So let me just pray and open this time up and I'll close up again. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but through you. Thank you for this time to take communion. Father God, I pray, Lord, that you would... Uh, a spark in our minds and our hearts, the things that we need to repent of. We want to take communion in a very worthy manner. We want to recognize your death and resurrection, Lord Jesus. So brothers and sisters, take this time to do business with the Lord. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're personal. You personally know us. You personally love us. Help us to as we're in our own upper rooms right now, trust that you are the way. We're following the right one. Give us more assurance through your word. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.